Premier Christian Newscast. Denominations are much quicker to close down churches based in poorer areas than those serving the rich. That's the headline finding from a report by the charity Church Action on Poverty, which scrutinised five denominations in Greater Manchester to examine what churches were shut down and where over the past decade. Is this indicative of a loss of faith in ministry to the poor or just pragmatic economics? Why is British Christianity becoming ever more middle class? And have we lost sight of the gospel bias towards the least, the last and the lost? I'm Tim Wyatt and you're listening to Premier Christian Newscast. In today's episode, we're going to try and understand just how committed, or not, British churches are to serving in deprived communities, and what might be done to redress the balance. Joining me to discuss this are Philip North, the Bishop of Burnley in the Church of England, Eunice Atwood, the Methodist Church's Church on the Margins officer, and Neil Cooper, the Director of Church Action on Poverty. Well, thanks very much for joining us, everyone. Um, could I begin by asking you all to uh, briefly introduce yourself? And um, why don't we start with you, Eunice? Thank you, Tim. My name's Eunice Atwood. I'm the Church at the Margins Officer with the Methodist Church. Excellent. Um, and Niall? Uh, I'm uh, Neil Cooper. I'm Chief Executive of Church Action on Poverty. And um, Bishop, who are you? <coughs> Hello. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, <coughs> I'm Philip North. I'm the Bishop of Burnley. Excellent. Um, well, I'm really grateful to have you all on the show today. Thanks so much for making the time. Um, Neil, can I come to you first? Could, could you briefly kind of summarise some of the headline findings of your recent couple of reports looking at kind of church provision? I think it was focusing on Greater Manchester. What, what were the kind of big takeaways from those, from those, those projects? Uh, there were two, really, um, and they're kind of quite contradictory um, in, in some ways. The first was we did some statistical research on uh, closures of churches uh, over the past 10 years uh, across Greater Manchester, across the five um, kind of major denominations, which showed that there was uh, all, by and large, denominations were disproportionately closing churches in low-income areas. Um, the, the patterns were slightly different, but uh, it was quite hard to explain why more churches were being closed in poorer communities than in more affluent communities. So a kind of negative story there. Hmm. Um, that set us against uh, the qualitative research when we actually went and sp spoke to people who were themselves on low incomes or on the margins in churches. Uh, they were very positive. They recognised lots of barriers uh, to their involvement in church. Uh, to do with class and culture and um, power. But actually, they had very positive experiences um, about church, about the role it played in providing community and family. And they used really powerful words like love. Um, so actually, there's a good news story about the role church can play uh, in marginal communities. Um, but... Uh, 
what the challenge then is how the, the institutions actually resource that and support it and ensure that there is a presence in those communities and that uh, the pattern of closing churches isn't uh, isn't continued into the future. Um, Bishop Philip, does does this kind of idea of denominations being quick or disproportionately likely to to close churches in deprived neighbourhoods does that tally with your experience in the Church of England in particular? It, it, it well over the last twenty years it certainly does. I think you know it, there's a kind of you know institutional hypocrisy almost at the heart of our life that we love to speak about a gospel bias to the poor we love to talk about the church on the margins but the reality is it is hard to sustain urban churches and we've seen many of them particularly on our outer states withdrawing closing parishes merged etc now at the moment i see two things i am seeing some really beautiful church planting going on in our urban areas and some really lively thrilling churches springing up there but my fear is that the rate of planting is slower than the rate of withdrawal. And for me, that creates a mighty or mighty gospel problem because, you know, where does Jesus go to in his own ministry? He goes to the margins. He goes to those who are poor. He goes to those who are most forgotten. And from there, he, this massive movement of kingdom change comes about. If we're really serious about recapturing imaginations with the gospel, about claiming a nation back for Christ, then it will begin in our poorest areas, which is where our presence is weakest. And Eunice, how do you think your church, the Methodists, are doing at this problem? I mean, they've hired you as specifically as a church at the margins officer. Is that recognition that they that they had an issue here? It is a recognition that we knew there was a challenge. Uh, we and so the report confirmed what we already knew. The Methodist Church partly funded this report, and we welcome the honesty in it. And we want to be challenged by what it has discovered. And the Church at the Margins project, as as Bishop Philip was saying, that's about planting new Christian communities in low income areas that might make sense in ways that are not necessarily going to look like the churches that were pre-existing. But we also want to hear, you know, some build church buildings in low-income areas are absolutely vital. So we need to hear that message that we need not, we need to think really carefully. We need to put a disproportionate amount of resources into those low-income areas and resource them and think about sustainability. Some of the reasons our buildings have closed is a combination of losing people and money, and often the loss of the people, the wedging of people. And that was, to some extent, that was because we didn't imagine new ways of being church with people that made sense to them. And as Neil said, you know, they've uncovered in the research some things that we absolutely know, that we need to prioritise the lived experience of people because they're the experts, that we need to see not these low-income communities as deprived, they're often, they've been abandoned, They've been abandoned of resources, of employment, but they contain passionate, wonderful people alongside challenges that exist in every community. So we welcome the report. We're really thankful for the work of our colleagues um, in Church Action on Poverty. And we're, we want to hear the truth of this. I think that hope starts when the truth is told. So we need to for, see reality and from that ask, what is it we need to do to respond to the love of God in this case? I'm really interested to kind of dig into this question of of closure of churches because it seems that there's clearly a, a huge difficulty, even with the best will in the world. If 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 a church on an, on a deprived estate or on on a kind of um, poorer community is is declining in terms of people coming to the congregation, declining maybe in giving in, in inside the congregation, how can a denomination kind of sustain ministry there? Is this about we need much more redistribution from kind of rich middle class areas to these these more struggling parts? Is it that simple? 
Can I come in here, Tim? Yeah. For me, it's first of all about leadership. And the problem is we tend to have our best leaders in our wealthiest parishes. We need to reverse that if the, if, if, if the church is serious about reinvestment in, in more deprived communities. So our best leaders go to our most deprived communities. And then good leaders form good leaders. And the, the absolute key to sustainability in urban areas is, is raising up a local leadership. And there's some really useful, helpful experiments going on about how we do that exactly now. So there's no reason urban churches shouldn't flourish. That said, they're unlikely in very many cases to be financially viable. And actually, you know, many of our institutional larger churches in this country are very, very wealthy. Um, there's shocking uh, um, inequity within the Church of England, with some dioceses sitting on eye-watering amounts of money, while urban and poorer dioceses have next to nothing. There's large amounts of money held by the church commissioners. And if we're serious about being present in areas of deprivation, that becomes an, an issue not just for poorer churches, but for the church as a whole. And we've got to express a, a corporate commitment uh, to, to deprived areas, not just for them, but for the benefit of the whole church and the whole nation. Neil, was there a big ask from Church Action on Poverty kind of for denominations coming out of your research in your report? Was there kind of one single thing that you think they should do in changing their approach to address this issue? I think it, it echoes what the bishops just said. It's the, the challenge is to see the good news that these communities and, and churches are actually good news stories. They're not places of failure and hopelessness. Uh, so it's turning the kind of ideas on their head in the way that the gospel frequently does, that these are good news stories for the whole church, but the church as an institution has to invest uh, in the long term disproportionately into those communities, both money and people, and invest in the local leadership. Um, and that's the only way in which uh, we're going to actually grow a church that, which is truly good news for people uh, in poverty and on the margins. Uh, do you, some people sometimes argue that this kind of focus on closure of buildings is a bit of a red herring because, you know, sometimes these buildings were, you know, that, that have been shut down in poorer places are, are actually really inappropriate. They might be kind of run down, difficult to heat, too big. Do, do you think church and outreach is much bigger than just counting how many buildings you might have or not have in a certain area? It, it's definitely, uh, yes, there are there are circumstances where a building in any community, a church building may need to close. The issue with the research, though, is that's happening disproportionately in, in low-income communities. And quite often in those communities, that is the only uh, community resource. So that's yeah. where... Yes, there might be times when you have to close the building uh, and, and look to do something else. And no, our research showed some incredibly creative ways in which churches continue uh, in new ways uh, in a different building, um, borrowing somebody else's building. But it also comes back to the issue of resource, that actually keeping any building going is expensive. And you can't expect a group of people on low incomes to raise tens of thousands of pounds to you know, keep a, a, a building in good order. So the fact that some, you know, some church buildings are not in a good shape in low-income communities is not a surprise. Uh, the, the wider church, again, has got to actually come in here and invest and remodel and rebuild, but making sure that that, that presence is still there in that community in whatever form. Premier Christian Newscast.
Christian Newscast. Bishop Philip, there's been a programme in the Church of England to try and boost the amount of kind of central national funds going to, to poorer communities, funded, I believe, by the church commissioners for a few years now. Do you think that's bearing fruit? Do you think that is tilting us back in the right direction? Uh, it's doing some great work, and it's you know it's become it's exciting the way that fund has become more and more focused on our deprived communities. And you know, I could take you to some great stories in Lancashire that would have been entirely impossible without that funding. Um, the question is, can that plug the gap left by you know post COVID? Some diocesan strategies are about you know reducing clergy numbers, reducing number of parishes, walking away from buildings that are hard to sustain, which is often in, impacts the poorer communities disproportionately. So in addition to what the commissioners are funding centrally, we need a local diocesan commitment um, to, to remaining present. The Church of England uh, committed itself to having a loving, serving, worshipping Christian community on every single significant estate in the country in 2019. And we really need to honour that pledge. And Eunice, what's the situation like in, in the Methodist Church? You said that you kind of acknowledged that there was an issue in terms of churches closing too quickly in, in some of the poorer areas. Do you think the tide is turning within the church? Are you seeing a kind of greater prioritisation or focus on, on people on the margins? I think there's a start, Tim. I think it would be uh, unreasonable to say there was a massive flood. But I think every time I talk about church at the margins with anyone in Methodism, you know, Methodism's heart is for people on the margins. Methodism was born amongst the labouring communities. Uh, that's that's who that's who it was for. So I think I still hear that heart, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because the heart of people is to do the right thing. I think we need more encouragement. We, you know, it's all right having a vision, but a vision without a strategy is a fantasy. So we need to think, what strategically do we need to do to change things? And around the country, I'm seeing pockets. And there's the Church at the Margins project is putting money into, into this. And we can see little starts here in, in every district. And obviously, there's all kinds of things going on. In, in most Methodist churches, there are food banks, there are warm spaces, but that's not quite the same as a community. I think that provision of food banks and uh, of warm spaces, you know, that's good responding to need. But actually, Church at the Margins is about community, becoming a community together, being in relationship with each other, knowing what our passions are. That's a, that's a different thing here. And, and I think that's, mm. that's, that's at the heart of the Church at the Margins initiative. Is another strand to this, this kind of dichotomy between clergy, cler clerical leadership and lay leadership and, and alongside church closures, I'm sure the, st the numbers would show that there are fewer kind of clergy deployed across the denominations in poorer regions. Is there actually an opportunity there to say to try and model a different kind of church, raising up local leaders rather than kind of parachuting in middle class, university educated professionals from elsewhere who only stay for a few years anyway? Absolutely. And the intention of, of our project, Church at the Margins, is to raise up lay leadership, preferably local indigenous leadership. But as Bishop Philip has said, that's quite difficult. And it may be that a catalyst is needed to help support that and grow the leadership from that community. Because the best people to talk about God in a community are the people who live there to talk to each other. What, what do you think, Bishop Philip? Because you talked about trying to get some of the best and the brightest sent to these estates. Do you think they should bubble up from underneath instead? We need both, I think. You know, we've got amazing parish priests working up in East, East Lancashire, who's, you know, officer class, extremely well-educated, well-spoken, doing an amazing job at raising up a local leadership. 
um, using skills he learned in the army to do so. And it, that, that church is absolutely buzzing. And, you know, I think part of the joy of being in, in stipendiary ministry is working across a range of places. And, you know, estates and inner urban areas are fantastically exciting places to work. And if people want to work there, we need them there. But, but sustainability is about your local leadership. And, and also um, a local leadership, they, they then come on to change the church. If, if people from our urban areas are getting ordained and becoming deployable across the church, that's good news for everybody. So putting, you know, we, we run a course called Empower in this diocese, which is all about identifying urban people with potential, but maybe not the educational background and using, you know, skill techniques over a year to form them into leaders. And it's exciting to see courses like that bubbling up across the country because that local leadership is absolutely, we spent decades trying to get this right. We're nowhere close yet. We've got to keep trying, fi finding these techniques to for allow people to break into what is a very middle-class church in terms of the Church of England. Yeah, Neil. I, I would add that now our research, talking to people, does show the barriers that people experience, that if you want to grow kind of working class leadership, uh, leadership from people on the margins, it looks different, it feels different, the culture is different, and expecting people to fit into the, the models of leadership that a middle class church uh, has, has developed over you know, many, many years simply isn't going to work uh, for most people. So we've, it, it requires the institution again to change and be willing to understand and affirm and celebrate the gifts of people that, that look and exercise leadership in, in quite different ways. And quite often, you know, find the rules and the, the structures of the church a barrier to exercising leadership. So we need to be flexible about that and go with where the energy is and go with where the spirit is and, and not uh, not get too concerned that, that you know, they're, they're breaking all our rules because that's, that you know, the spirit of God and uh, the creativity of people doesn't fit within uh, middle class uh, barriers in that way. Uh, and that's the joy of, of Church on the Margins. It looks, uh, our researchers, when they went and spent time, always came back with a smile on their face because of the joy of this stuff and the joy that it brings to people who have quite difficult lives. And that is that is a nugget of the gospel, which the rest of the church could learn so much from. Is there a theological argument here that actually the the kind of con, the commitment I believe that you all kind of see in in scripture and tradition of a kind of preferential option for the poor that hasn't actually sunk in across the church more broadly, or do you think this is actually just about money and politics and pragmatic things, or you know where, where how do you draw the balance between trying to strategic stuff and actually just addressing people's hearts and minds and trying to persuade them of the case? It, it, it's in, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, every every renewal in the church's history in two thousand years has been um, characterised by a preferential bias for those who are poorer. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, and then the church forgets the priority. And what I see at the moment is a church that loves to pay lip service to this agenda. But actually, when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to the cost of it, suddenly everybody goes quiet. And I think that's just based, you know, it's, what we need is deeper conversion. Because the more you love Jesus, the more you love his people. The more you love Jesus, the more you love those who are on the margins and the more you're prepared to live sacrificially. And that's the importance of this agenda, that it's calling the whole church to deeper holiness of life in order to exist for the benefit of others. 
Eunice, I see you nodding your head there. Mm, absolutely. And I think often I experience that people are very disconnected from each other. So people who live in middle class communities can often not know anyone who lives differently. And that disconnection doesn't help. It keeps people apart from one another. So building relationships with people, listening and learning, going into and being joining in with what's already happening is crucial. You know, what Neil said was that, you know, the team experienced something different when they came back. I experience that all the time. I love going into these places because there's an honesty, there's an authenticity. And that's where I think you meet God. You meet God in the honest rawness of people's hearts. You just say it as it is. And I love that. They don't hide behind the middle class thing of church. In churches where they say everything's fine, they tell you it's not fine. And that authenticity uh, challenges you. So in these communities, I experience a transformation myself because I'm caught up into what it is to be real, to show up mm. as me. And I love that. So I think the transformation um, is a gift and a two-way thing. A really interesting thing in the Church of Scotland more than 10 years ago, as a whole denomination, they made a commitment to this work and put extra resources in and have every year since, simply on the basis of the statement that this is the gospel priority. And I, I've dug in saying, what? where's the evidence? You know, where are the big long reports? No, this was just, this is the gospel priority. And the denomination as a whole had the courage to actually act on that. Mm. Yeah. And has that borne fruit, do you think? It's borne amazing fruit because the investment over the long term in these communities, in new ways of doing things, in leadership, has has generated some of the, the most exciting things, I think, in, in terms of what it means to be church on the margins in the UK. And there's so much we've got to learn from, you know, from communities in Scotland, but also, as Eunice has said, all across the country. This is, this is bubbling up and it's an exciting time. Just before we finish, I wondered if I'd quickly go around and ask whether you're feeling kind of hopeful or pessimistic about the future of, of the kind of British church's outreach and, and, and evangelism and, and ministry in, in poorer communities. I'll start with you, Bishop Philip. How are you feeling about the future? Uh, I feel very ambiguous. I can see great signs of hope which show me that it is entirely possible, but I see too much drift and too much forgetting of this agenda. So I have, I'm moody about it. I have good days and bad days. <laughs> Eunice. I'm hopeful because I believe that in God's transformation, and that has to begin with me and each one of us. So I'm hopeful. And finally, Neil, how, where are you at? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful too. I think we have to be honest, as, as Eunice said, about the, the, the challenges that communities face, the challenges that people are facing. No, the the cost of living crisis plays into all of this. But these are communities that have resilient oh no have survived yeah. many knockbacks and you know they're not going to go away uh it's just whether the church is bold enough to you know to stick with it and i know i really hope that's something that that uh if if the gospel means anything then this has got to be a priority for the church Absolutely. Amen to that. Well, I'm afraid we've run out of time and we'll have to draw our conversation to a close there. We could have talked for much longer, I'm sure. But thanks very much, Eunice, Neil and Bishop Philip for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Bye bye.
That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 